0: Good morning, church, and specifically a good morning to you kiddos. If you're sitting there with your parents, I want to say good morning to you. My name is Joel, and I'm our director of community and family discipleship here at SOMA. And so this morning, on this Sunday morning, whatever weight you carry this week, and trust me, I know the weight can be heavy, I hope that you can rest this morning in the company of your church family, even if we are spread out across different living rooms across the city. And be, and be reminded that God has brought us together from all over the city and maybe even the country and world to be a part of this tiny little outpost of his really, really big kingdom so that we can remind each other of three things, that we worship a great God, that we are recipients of his great grace, and that we can reorient ourselves around the great story of God. So would you please bow your heads? I'm going to pray for us this morning before we get into our message. Heavenly Father, uh, we take a deep breath. And we praise you that you are a great God, that you have given us your great grace. And that we ask that you reorient us ourself around your great story this morning. And even now I pray that we pause and just take a moment of silence and even just think about a piece of your character or your goodness or a piece of your story from the Bible that just would seep into our souls and refresh us and relieve our burden this morning. And so would you remind us of something uh, that, we, that we love and treasure about you? And God, as I speak, would you use the words of my mouth and the med- meditation of my heart that they'd be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as many of you know, we just finished a series on the Holy Spirit, and this summer we're going to take a few weeks just to have a few different speakers speak to you about the Psalms and offer a psalm of encouragement. And this morning, the psalm I have for you is Psalm 78. We're going to get to that in just a minute, uh, but I, I, you're not going to believe me in this. I actually have a one-point sermon for you this morning, only one point. I want to keep this really brief so that your digital threshold of what you can pay attention to. uh, We don't hit that this morning. I have one point sermon for you. It's probably supported by lots of other points, but it's one singular point. And here it is. We are the stewards of the story of God. I'm going to say that again. We are the stewards of the story of God. We are all storytellers, but for the follower of Jesus, we are storytellers of the greatest story that has ever been told. As we all do, my family really loves stories. And uh, actually, I want to give a quick shout-out to my kids, Graham and Joy. I told them I was going to be, say hi to them this morning, so i want to say, hi, Graham and Joy, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud to be your dad. Uh, but one thing that Graham and Joy love to do, one thing we've introduced in our family is what's called story bags. It's a liturgy of storytelling in our family that we do after dinner. And it works like this. It's a bag filled with little wooden figures, like a pirate flag or, or a parrot. And what we do is we pass this around. And somebody has to pull something out, and they have to improvise a story based on what they pull out of the bag. So they say, once upon a time, and then you don't know what you're pulling out, and here it is, and you have to begin a story. And then you hand it to the next person. They pull it out, and they have to tell part of a story. And the best part is you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. For instance, my daughter Joy, she, her favorite wooden figure we pull out is a princess. Uh, because in a particularly difficult story where a princess could not be worked into the story, was pulled out and out of desperation we were trying to figure out how to get her into the story, she was named Princess Petunia Picklebottom and that she was quickly betrothed to uh, Sir Patrick Pickletoes. And this was just something that my daughter Joy, she's three, she loves, she laughs. Every time we tell a story now, Princess Petunia Picklebottom has to be a part of that story. But in light of these story bags, I have a really silly question for you. What would it take for one of these silly stories, the silly, insignificant stories that maybe my family tells around a dinner table to be retold 200 years from now around a different dinner table? What would it take? I don't even ask you just to think about that. Don't just immediately listen to what I have to say. I want you to think, what would it take for for that story to be retold 200 years from now? This is what I think it would take. that You'd have to commit and accept the responsibility to share that, to make it your mission. You would have to commit to remembering it yourself. You would have to rehearse it so many times in so many creative different ways that the people around you would almost be sick of hearing it. And then one day you would have to trust someone else after your time is over to carry that story on. We love storytelling because it makes up our lives. But even more importantly, we must embrace that we are the stewards of God's great story, meant to tell the coming generations that if we're going to be good stories of that story, we're going to need to receive responsibility, remember it honestly, rehearse it creatively and relationally, and then release it to someone else to make it their own in their life. So kids, if you're still listening to me this morning, I want to actually ask you to give you an assignment to do this morning, uh, because I'm going to talk to your parents about Psalm 78 in a second. But what I want you to do is I want you to get a piece of paper and some crowns and a pencil, and I want you to draw or write a story that you can tell your mom and dad after the sermon is over about a hero. And so here's your prompt. you ready? Once upon a time, there was a mighty hero who, you take it from there. And adults, I'd love to talk to you now about Psalm 78. So if you could, please uh, get your Bibles out or on your phone. I would love you to have the text in front of you. And as you pull up that text, I want to contextualize it for you just for a minute. This is a psalm that is about telling the coming generations about the mighty deeds of God. So at first glance, you may seem like this is for parents only. And I want you to reject that because that's not true. That's a lie. This was a psalm to be sung in front of the whole assembly of Israel because it was the job of the whole people, the singles, the married, the childless, the grandparents, even the non-ethnic Jews who had been adopted into the family of Israel coming out of Egypt. And if we layer the New Testament on top of this with the Great Commission and Jesus frequently calling adults that he spoke to little children, then we can read this psalm with the responsibility to be spiritual mothers and fathers to our kids, but also to others that we come into contact with like Paul who actually encouraged some people not to get married so that they could be spiritual mothers and fathers to a new generation of Christians and tell them about the mighty wonders of God so that they too would become spiritual mothers and fathers who would then take ownership over this story and be stewards of it. So in short, whatever temptation you may feel as we're reading this psalm, I want to ask you to reject it because this psalm is for all of us. So I'd love to read for you Psalm 78 verses 1 through 8. And as I do, I'd like you to pay attention to what may jump out to you this morning. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. And his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn. Arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So my question for you is what jumped out to you this morning? Here's what jumped out to me. We are the stewards of God's story. We are stewards of the story of God. And here's how I would summarize this text. We are called to be the storytellers and the story storylivers of for the coming generation of Christ followers. We are stewards of the story by telling faithfully our own story of sin and rebellion and even pain and woundedness that we've experienced so that the glorious deeds of God outlined in his word would be so wonderful to us that we would daily arise, no matter how spiritually groggy or grumpy we may feel, and set our hope in God who never changes so that we can faithfully and joyfully, not begrudgingly, Tell the story of God expectantly that the future generation of believers will see God so clearly that they would be moved to set their hope in him, keeping his commandments and assume the responsibility to steward the story themselves. This is what I think this text is saying, that we are the stewards of the story of God, an amazing story. But if you're like me, and if I'm honest, sometimes this story feels stale or inauthentic. Or it feels forced or formulaic, like I have to sit up straight and I have to change my voice when I tell this story. And if you're like me, because it feels so forced sometimes that I forget to tell, I not only forget to tell it, I avoid telling it. But the truth is, that it is not the story's problem. This is the story, the story, the best story, a true story. I think that this text actually exposes an underlying problem that existed in Israel and for all of us. Because it isn't the story's problem, it's our pre-existing condition to hide, like Adam and Eve. Because actually in verse 2, if you see, it says, I will utter dark sayings from old. And actually, the rest of the psalm, which we didn't read, which is 72 verses long, verses 8 through 72, chronicles how Israel forgot about God. That God time and time again delivered Israel And then they grumbled and complained and forgot about his mighty deeds. And then they were disciplined, not crushed, but disciplined. And then God remained faithful to his covenant to them. Israel really liked to tell the mighty works of God. But they did not like to tell about their contribution to the story. And they hid it from themselves. And therefore, they hid it from their little children, whoever those little children may be in their life, actual children or the world around them. So they too forgot the works of God and they hid the unflattering pieces of their contribution to the story. And this, friends, is our fallen condition. Just like Adam and Eve, we hide the true story because of shame and a desire to retain our sense of glory and authority. So we minimize our part of the story, which robs Jesus of his mighty deeds. And when the hero does not feel heroic to us, we slowly lose interest in that story. So when it comes to telling our family, our kids, our roommates, our neighbors, the story seems beat up and hollow, and we don't remember honestly what we were saved from, so therefore we whitewash the history so that the true story of our mighty covenant-making, law-giving, grace-extending, dignity-restoring God stays in the shadows of our minds and our hearts, and the story loses its zip and its zing. So when we sit down to do family devotions, or when our kids really screw it up, or we're talking to a friend that maybe skeptical or even hostile to who jesus is we're caught between two options to tell the full story or to tell an empty story this is probably a soundbite from my own living room it goes like this this is the empty story of an empty story version hey graham and joy god says we shouldn't steal stealing dishonors gods and hurt and hurts others but if you do steal, God loves you and if you believe in him, you'll be forgiven and hurry along, I gotta get finished, I gotta finish making dinner. Now please, hear me say this, there's nothing inherently wrong with what I just said, it was factually true and sometimes all we have is the efficient moment of being able to tell a piece of truth to our children. I'm not condemning those moments where we don't have time to get into the whole story. But if I'm honest with you, sometimes I can be lazy. Sometimes I don't take the time to set aside to tell the full story of God. And I hide the glory and the transformative power from it. And the full story may actually go like this. Hey, Graham and Joy, God has commanded us not to steal. Because when we steal, we're trying to be God. And that's what the Bible calls sin, which separates us from him. But Graham and Joy, by your own strength, you will never be able to not sin. Even if you never steal, no matter how good you look on the outside, you will rebel against God in your heart. You, like everyone else, including your mom and dad, need a savior. Daddy learned this the hard way. When daddy was in high school, he was trying to impress some friends. He wanted to be God. And he accepted the challenge to steal something from a store. A phone case, of all things. And I got caught. And this is where you pause for dramatic effect and you wait for your kids to say, Really, dad? And that's when you say, Yeah. Yeah, buddy people thought I was really good on the outside, but I was hiding things in my heart. And eventually they were making their way out. And I should have gone to jail, but I was released, probably because even the color of my sin. But the reality is, even though I didn't get in trouble, I'll never be able to escape the consequences of sinning against God. But you know what? Here's the good news, Graham and Joy. God is such a good father that he loved me so much that he did not hand me over to my desire to be God, that eventually would have ruined every area of my life. Instead, he sent his son Jesus to pay my consequences for my sin, to save me, to change my heart, to give me a new life. And here's the best part, that Jesus did more than just die on the cross. He conquered death so that for all, including you, who place their faith in him will be forgiven and can be with him forever. That's the full story. Now, again, we don't always have time for that, but when do we carve out time to tell those full stories? But if I'm completely honest, apart from walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't want to tell that story. I don't want to lay it all out there. But as long as we're hiding, the story will never be told with staying power in the lives of people around us. We need a redemptive solution that redemptive solution is that Jesus is the mighty hero and the good shepherd who has done all the work. We have contributed nothing to our salvation. Jesus has worked mightier deeds for us than what Israel saw in the parting of the Red Sea in the promised land. He has fulfilled his covenant promise to us to save us, to restore us back to him. He gives us his word, which is our guide to obey, and a joyful purpose to accomplish. He has done it all, and on top of that, he's given you his Holy Spirit, which dwells within you, which is a wellspring of life, so that you can daily yield to it and be renewed and refreshed. And remember the full weight of the story of how God intersected in your life without shame and guilt and condemnation. And by doing the work of allowing yourself to be transformed by this story and this narrative... By saturating our lives in the story and being honest about what he has done, allows us to be more and more authentically excited about what the story can do in other people's lives. Someone who remembers honestly what God has done can present what God is, can have presently have trust in what God is doing and has hope for what God will do. In this cultural moment where it seems the world's burning around us, COVID, racial injustice, our own problems that we have on top of, and Every, everyday life, what this world needs is people who remember what God has done so they can presently trust in what he is doing and expectantly hope for what he will do. That's what people need to see and hear so they know where to set their hope when trouble comes. So if we're the stewards of God's story, the true story, if we're going to effectively tell it and enjoy the calling that we have to be stories, stewards of the story, we must do four things. Receive responsibility. We must remember it honestly. We must rehearse it relationally and creatively. And we must release it expectantly into the world. So it is our collective responsibility to receive this responsibility, to champion this story. You'll see in verse 3, to remember how we've received this story from our spiritual mothers and fathers. Verse 4, it says, we will not hide this story from the coming generation. We will tell them of the glorious deeds. Verse 6, we will arise and tell and take action in word and deed to show people in your life where you set your hope so that they know where to set theirs. We're commanded in this psalm to tell the story. So here's your practical assignment. Today, don't delay. Will you go before God and pray and say, I see that my life's purpose is to be a steward of this story, of the truth, and I receive it and I receive this responsibility joyfully. Will you help me do it? Once you've received that responsibility, then you need to remember honestly what's happened. Just like the psalm, we must then remember honestly the glorious deeds, the mighty wonders of God in verse four. Verse five, he gave a testimony to Jacob and a law to Israel, which is another way of saying that he's given his character to us, his covenants, and the word of God do we remember often or know the story of God that's told in his Bible? If we don't know it there and are not daily saturating ourselves in this story, then we will not be able to make sense of our own story with God. And the next question is, do we remember honestly and in detail your own story how God has redeemed you? Or do we hide the gritty details like we saw in verse 2, the dark sayings of old? Or verse 8, how the father's had been stubborn. The fathers had been rebellious. Their hearts were not steadfast, and they weren't faithful to God. I wonder, can we with honesty tell our kids or our friends how we have been stubborn and rebellious and heartless and faithless people, but who have found an abundant life in the death and resurrection of Jesus? So here's your homework assignment Here is after you've received responsibility to journal out your story of faith in your life with a commitment to not leave anything out. And to keep digging in that story until you feel the joy of the salvation that God has worked in your life. So, when we've remembered, we've uh, received responsibility, we've remembered it honestly, then we can rehearse relationally and creatively. And this is the fun part because you get to relationally and creatively revert, rehearse this story over and over and over again so the world can see. This has both a proactive and a reactive component. Proactively, will you you joyfully plan ahead now for how you will invest in people's lives and creatively orient yourself around God's story of redemption? Because we must proactively saturate our lives with habits and liturgies of this story, like having a plan for how you're going to celebrate holidays and birthdays, or how are we going to pursue relationships with other people that get below the surface and ask good questions, Or how are we going to have fun like God? Or how are we going to invite people into our home like God would? These things take intentionality and creativity and prioritizing relationships. And all of these, uh, even though it is work, I hope you will see that this, this is a story that energizes us and it makes the work worth it. But proactive plans are only plans. And Dwight D. Eisenhower said that plans are everything, but plans are useless. So we must be reactively ready to respond to opportunities that will arise in the everyday, life of stu- everyday stuff of life. And to do that, we must have rehearsed the story over and over in our own hearts and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit so that it bubbles out of us in these unexpected moments. Because opportunities will arise. One small example of how our family has tried to do this is that when we watch a movie or read a book, we talk about it afterwards. And we always ask the kids, what did they notice? What jumped out to them in the story? What themes did they saw? see? And then we're quick to point out themes of redemption or forgiveness or joy or morals to learn or sin to avoid or the hero that's in every story. Because stories have great power, but they're only destructive if we don't help our kids process them through the lens of the gospel. So your assignment here, after receiving responsibility and remembering it honestly, is to design proactive ways that you're going to rehearse the story and so that you can be reactively ready to reference it in the stuff of life when it happens so that we can do possibly what is the easiest and the hardest one of these, is release expectantly. We must know our place and trust that God is in control. We need to know that he is the one who changes hearts and does the work. You cannot force people to receive this story. It is, God's, it is God's work, and we must cling to that truth because we will, Because when we do cling to that truth, we will not manipulate people into setting their hope in God, but be at peace that God will prove it to be true for them sometime in their life. And after, tr- after telling that story faithfully, we'll release people in our lives prayerfully and full of faith expecting that God is going to prove it to be true and allowing them to have their own story and allowing them to set their own hope in God. Because without it, they will never be able to be stewards of the story themselves one day. So your assignment here is to rest in God's grace. That you cannot earn his love. That you cannot manipulate the situation. And as we move towards people with this story, we can rest in the grace of God, expecting that if we do our part faithfully and walk with him every day, yielding to his Holy Spirit, that he will work out his plan of salvation in people's lives and into the coming generation. So in closing, church, this cultural moment, COVID, racial injustice, the normal trials of life, we need, story, we need the story for ourselves first. We need the power of remembering what God has done so that we can see what he is doing and have hope for what he will do in this moment. He will always prove himself to be worth setting our hope in, but we must choose to do the setting of our hope in him. And in doing so, his Holy Spirit will empower you to be a steward of the story by receiving responsibility, remembering it honestly, rehearsing it creatively and relationally, and then releasing expectantly God's story, so that the world can set their hope in him. So will we do our part to be faithful, to tell it, and full of faith that God will prove it to be true in the coming generation? Let us pray. God, this morning, would you swell our hearts to worship you as our great God? Would you remind us deeply in, the, in our soul that we have been recipients of your great grace? Would you reorient us around your great story? so that we may be stewards of your wonderful, amazing story that spans from everlasting to everlasting. Amen.